darling, we're the young ones, and the young ones shouldn't be afraid to live love while the flame is strong. 'Cause we may not be the young ones very long. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Young Animal Gatherum. We got four, count them, four segments to go through today, and uh, but you can't guess which book is missing. Uh, this is around the time where. News of a potential hiatus started coming uh, coming around the newswire here, and uh, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a uh, sign of a healthy imprint when uh, when there's chatter of a hiatus. Uh, now the four books we have this week are Mother Panic Number Eight, originally aired July second, twenty seventeen; Shade the Changing Girl Number Ten, originally aired July ninth, twenty seventeen; Bug the Adventures of Forager Number Three. That originally aired on July 16th, 2017. And then we'll wrap it all up with Cave Carson as a Cybernetic Eye number 10. That one originally aired on July 23rd, 2017. So yes, there's definitely change in the air here. Uh, This imprint is not long for this world, at least in this incarnation. But uh, we will uh, wrap it up in the next few weeks before we hop straight into Milk Wars. I hope you're digging what we're doing, and I hope you continue to dig it into the coming weeks. See ya. To the Young Animal segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have a Young Animal book to read this week. Uh, this is normally not one of our top favorites, but I think <laughs> this, this issue kind of turned things around a little bit. What, what are we looking at here, Chris? We are looking at the unexpected Mother Panic number eight. Uh, this is Victim Complex Part Two, written by Jody Hauser with art by John Paul Leon and Dave Stewart. And uh, yeah, we are on an upward trend to be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we open up with uh, Violet doing a little bit of detective work on her laptop. If you remember, last issue uh, started with a killer wrapped in a, a body bag, basically. Uh, yeah, taking out a family in a parking structure, yeah. uh, but leaving the little girl alive. Kind of like a body bag shroud, almost like a cloak, yeah. you know, made of a body bag. Yeah, and he and the uh, girl who he let live was one of the girls that Violet had rescued from Hemsley in that blood paint 
and artist person. So that was the second arc. That. Was that the first arc? I, I think that was the very first. That was the first one, yeah. Yeah, that really, really, really unfortunate one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, Violet's in the uh, sun area of her room, which has a you know, window for a roof. It looks like you could probably grow some plants there. Hmm. Uh, her view is a lot nicer than I figured it'd be. It's uh, just like a neighborhood. <laughs> I yeah. think she was like, I was expecting like bats to be flying by and spider webs. Gosh, looks like she lives on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. It's got a a very nice expensive joint. Yeah. yeah, she's definitely not broke. Also, this uh, on the outside of her laptop, Chris, is a bunch of stickers. You listen to any of these bands? <laughs> you like these guys? We got we got Il Ilamil Ibu Yo. You yeah. listen to them? Yeah, you don't listen. All right. <laughs> I, I well. Uh... I think I, I used to be the bassist for Yo. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's doing a little bit of research. She's uh, trying to track down uh, any information about the, uh, the this body bag killer who killed the girl's family. Um, in doing so, she has a bit of an internal struggle, which is something that was new to the character, but it's becoming a little bit more prevalent, and I'm happy that it is. Uh, she seems like she's trying to assuage herself of any responsibility, saying, you know, ah, what can I do? This girl's fine. Uh, but then has the stark realization that the girl's kind of counting on her. She's the only, she's yeah. this the, this girl's only angel at this point. Um, Gave her a hug, you know, come yes. on. <laughs> yes, it shook her to her core. Um, unfortunately, Looks like Mother Panic's been benched. Yep. Uh, then we head over to a Gather House flashback where Mother Panic was created or developed in this... Uh, or programmed, yeah. Programmed in this crazy nunnery or whatever. And and this is... It's a great uh, way to do a flashback. The color shift kind of goes to a sepia tone, which I... Uh, yeah. Didn't have to, don't have to do much, but you have to do something. You know, that's all I, that's all I ask. <laughs> uh, young Violet's punching a brick wall while a nun is watching. Uh, Violet's referred to as 17 and lambasted until and, and when she stops punching. Just like, keep it up, kid. Keep punching. And she keeps punching again. She's able to break through the wall. She punches the bricks away. Her knuckles do get bloody, but they it doesn't seem to stop her from, uh, from punch, her goal. punching away. Uh, we hop back to the present, and Violet approaches the former rat catcher, Otis, about he might think that Batman might find people. He, she knows that he's had run-ins with Batman before, and uh, figures maybe he has some insight. Uh, Otis says that Batman's got people, but luckily, Otis, he's got rats. Yeah. Uh, before we know it, Violet's got an army of beady-eyed rats peeping out Gotham. You know, this is this could be a cool thing, but we'll see, we'll see like where it, yeah. it all goes. I was a cool little, like, I don't know, uh, extra, maybe something in Mother Panic's uh, arsenal or whatever will be all these rats. So now we shift over to a museum where a security guard's alerted by a man-shaped bag in the corner of an exhibit. He approaches, demanding, demanding that it identify itself. Turns out it was just a coroner's bag slung over a statue, so don't worry. The real <laughs> coroner's bag killer is now standing behind the guard. <laughs> bag unloads its gun on the guard, leaving him laying on the floor, and we can see the guard had a prosthetic right leg, which has been positively destroyed by the barrage of gunfire. Mm. Uh, back at the panic compound, Violet continues her research, now with added garbage. Uh, the rats have brought back a whole bunch of garbage, including uh, you know ticket stubs, uh, receipts, candy wrappers, probably a nice bit of rhinovirus and tuberculosis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. She really should be uh, wearing gloves right now. I'm not a, you'd think, kinda, right? Yeah. 
Now, among the detritus is a pamphlet from the museum. Uh, Violet checks the internet for any news and comes across the shooting. She investigates the victim and wonders why he was left in such a way. Uh, you know, he was shot, shot full of holes, had his leg destroyed, but he wasn't killed. Uh, Violet isn't sure she could draw any correlation because, you know, it, it's it, this is two violent acts in Gotham City, which is... What a slow morning! Yeah, really, exactly. That, we call that we call that Monday. That's not a big deal. Yes, uh, the only thing linking the victims and uh, the girl is Rosie, and this fella is Corporal Jones, uh, is that they both appeared on the late night talk show Impossible, but true. Mm-hmm. What's that about? So uh, Violet stands up, and her failing spinal implant acts up. She kind of shrieks in pain, and this is a good way they depicted it too, where it's like sort of line shooting out of her uh at first i was like did she get shot yeah. but uh but then but then you realize it's sort of the pain is so sharp that the panel goes red and black it, it was a nice little uh visual identifier she seizes up for a moment collapses on the floor um then we rejoin violet as she's trying to shake down dr varma for some painkillers because you know she needs to go out tonight and find this body bag killer or you know get into some other stuff Varma says no dice, she's not going to let her go out and die, you know, she's not well enough to do her mother panicking. Her exact words are actually, mother panic is benched until the spinal implant is replaced. And Chris, I think, is this the first time the character's ever been referred to as mother panic? Yeah, outside the cover or maybe a narrative thing, I, I think this is the first time anybody has actually referred to her as such, which oh, is weird. Yeah, I, I, just reading it, it definitely struck me. I was like, wow, I, I haven't seen that before where someone, you know, yeah, I don't think she even refers to herself as mother. No, man, I don't think so. It's just never, it's never really come up. She's just sort of like the, I don't know, other vigilante, but uh, this yeah, may be the, the first time. It? Yeah. Uh, now, not satisfied, Violet heads back to her room. Uh, this At this point, we can actually see how scarred her body is. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen this before now. No, uh, I, I don't remember anything like this, no. Yeah, it's, it seems weird that this would be the first time we'd see her in her underwear. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, like I'm thinking right back. And, yeah. uh, now, thankfully, Leon's art isn't gruesome or overly detailed, so the scars are they're basically just hash lines. Well, you know something, though, uh, is that I, I think that's purposely done because these are surgical scars you know what i mean oh you know you, you might be right they look like they're 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 very precise lines and you know mm. whatever i think she i didn't even consider that yeah this isn't scarring from fighting from necessarily fighting. but anyway it, it's it's cool to see that her body is not really you know Smart available up. for show <laughs> now uh she goes to put on the panic gear before being struck by another bolt of pain and she hits the floor again and uh she knows she meets she needs uh those painkillers before she could do anything else so I-, I think she steals them from her mother is that what's happening here it seems to i would say the same thing that's where i took it at first i was like oh i guess she had pills but then seeing that she stops by her mother's yeah, and, before and, to say good to say goodbye or whatever before anything. Yeah, yeah and it didn't even look like Violet in there because I mean she had like the she had like the fingerless gloves she was wearing like she looked like a transient. She's I didn't wearing, know it was wearing actually a weird there. hat. Yeah, it is kind yeah. of strange, but I I do think that's what happened is she went to okay, her, her cool. mom and took some of her maybe not even painkillers maybe it's like Just her meds, yeah. her crazy pills and she can uh, you know. Separate, separate from reality, and that's how you a kill pills the pain. A pills, a pill. So then we have, as we must have in the last bunch of issues, our second Gatherhouse flashback. Violet's now asleep in her bed. Her fists are wrapped from her brick wall punching, and they're kind of covered and marked with blood for obvious reasons. She wakes up, looks at her hands, and says, no, 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 then falls back to her bed in tears, and the blood in her hand sort of congeals to look like a nun, I think. 
Maybe. Do you see that? I mean, it definitely could also look like something on the back of her hand. And uh, she's like, she seems very upset by that. And I guess her whole, maybe her life kind of gives the impression she's not in control when she's punching walls. But uh, I th- think so. Yeah. I think also it could be maybe she's under such mental programming that she hallucinates crazy things. And she, you know, she's detaching from reality, maybe. But could be her, her situation at the gather house. She doesn't like it. That's what it's I, unpleasant. That's what I got from this. She's not. She's not having a good time. So that's that. No, no. We uh, we next head back to the present, and we see uh, we see Violet being introduced as a guest for the impossible, but true. Yeah. Yes, she goes on stage, and it's a very different Violet than we're used to. At least outwardly, her captions are still littered with profanity. Yeah. Though, to be fair, not as much as usual. I did feel that uh, way too. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't being hammered over the head with it. Uh, now, this kinder and gentler Violet is on the show to share the story about what really went down with her father's death. And, of course, that's really in quotes. Uh, basically, she claims her father was a good man and blames his death on Hemsley, if we remember him. Yep. Uh, this leads to a brief flashback where Violet is stood before the dead body of Hemsley, lamenting the fact that she couldn't kill him. But, like, she did, right? Uh, didn't we leave that when we weren't even sure he was dead? I could swear. No? Oh, no. But, uh... I could have sworn is... we left that where he was, like, severely injured, but, you know, we weren't sure. did she, like, set his car on fire with a yeah. minute? Yeah, 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 but but I thought he... I really thought he left that, like, I don't know. Obviously, don't he know. is dead, and she didn't do the actual killing, but, yeah, they, she messed with him a lot. She did. Uh, now, as she tells the story, uh, we get an idea what this is all about. She's only on the show in an attempt to make her a target for the coroner bag killer because the only thing she can link the other two victims with is that they were on this show. So uh, she figures if she's on the show, maybe she'll have a little bit of a bullseye painted on her. Although we've made the uh, handicapped link here. There's something with that, right? There's some, yes. some kind of thing where That's all the possible. people involved were have... Implants in or extra parts, yeah. I guess they've been in hospitals outside of their births. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, the plot is thickening and getting interesting, and I will definitely be interested to see Mother Panic, I assume, face off with uh, the coroner killer, coroner bag killer next issue. Yes, you got to figure these are this this book is going in three issue arcs, so right. uh, it, this could be the last part next issue. That that's my guess, and also like that's sort of the pacing, and the pacing is mm. has been pretty good in this uh, this series so far. At least yeah. these last two issues for this arc, this has been a really well done arc, and I've been enjoying it. It's really been drawing me in, learning more about the characters, making me feel more sympathetic. Just briefly, I got to say about the backup. We usually don't spend a lot of time on it. It's the same kind of thing, but Chris. This is the weirdest backup where, for once, I can't really even tell you what the hell happened. <laughs> it, it it opens with the usual, uh, you know, this uh, American flag bandana guy on the radio talking about how Batman's a creep and, you know, he's a uh, he's got a, a uh, scientist or some kind of a professor there corroborating, saying that this is a very stunted individual. And then we go to the scene where there's a guy in a walker who is a retired superhero, I guess, trailing two people. Looks like he's about to kill them. Then a mugger shows up mm-hmm. out of nowhere and starts to mug them. And another vigilante that looks sort of like Mother Panic, but in gray, shows like a up. a Batman Beyond type of logo it, on his chest. It is. It's, it's, it's really, it's wildly different. And it's the, he's the lunar bat, and he chases away the mugger, and then he gets shot in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
That's what <laughs> happened. I re- I really was like I read it like three times because I I take it on me to do the backups. I know you're you're not about it anymore. So I'm like, all right, I, I'll I'll handle the backup. But this time I was like, I don't know what I'm going to tell people. I don't know what happened in this scene. Uh, the two elderly people though, they got away in the end, so everything worked out nice, I suppose. And the guy in the walker, maybe he's the lunar bat, but he was in a walker. It doesn't seem logical. Hmm. So Weird. that was that there, Chris. But anyway, the rest of the issue, we 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 had quite a good time with it. What do, what do you think? I thought this was the strongest issue of the series. Uh, it's definitely on an upward trajectory here. I gave it an eight out of ten, and it's a it's a strong eight. Yeah, I definitely would yeah. agree with that. That you could even maybe get me up to eight point five with a little like hedging, but I I would sure. I would give this one eight all day. It's pretty recommended. Uh, I feel like the characters finally settling into. Something that we want to read about, you know, somebody, somebody we can be a little bit sympathetic towards, you know, like I, we don't need our heroes or all of our you know, characters necessarily be uh, crystal clean and, sure. you know, without any bad background. But this one really seemed like a jerk, somebody I wouldn't really even want to, like, stand next to. Uh, no, not at all. But now we're starting to at least learn a little bit more about her background and, you know, how she came to be her father. And, you know, it's it's filling in a lot of the gaps that are making and i think that i think that also over time now at the eighth issue we are getting more accustomed to the tone of the book yeah uh, it's just too bad that we're we're you know we're already over the 30 dollars point for yeah the story it's, I, that's that's kind of rough i mean if if you've been like you know enjoying it then you are probably then you're fine <laughs> thrilled right now you're like wow this book got great if you enjoyed it from the first issue if you didn't i can't imagine you would have hung around this long and i wouldn't expect anyone to <laughs> but uh you know this is this is pretty good uh, you know and i don't sure. know maybe you could jump on the last issue it's hard for me to parse it because it has been really cumulative you know what we've learned about uh the character it's you know you know I wouldn't know I don't know if you could just jump on and figure it all out. I don't know you'd appreciate it it's, if you jumped on now. And it is pretty crazy too the way the storytelling sometimes in this book. So uh, yeah, this might not be one you can jump on, but hey, if you're here already, we're having a good stick time. around. Stick <laughs> around and yeah, really I'm looking forward for the first time. Really truly looking forward to the next issue of this comic. So absolutely, that says a lot. There's nothing more you want out of a comic than to draw someone into the next one. Speaking of the next one, Chris, next week we do have one Young Animal comic, and that's one that we wow. both like a lot, Shade the Changing Girl number 10. Although okay. Bug the Adventures of Forager 3 is solicited, I can tell you now it is not out next week. Uh, I know for a fact I don't have it, so it's not there. But, uh, yeah, so that'll be cool. And then the week after that there is no Young Animal solicit. But I, that might be when bug number three comes out. So it'll be exciting for everybody to find out what happens <laughs> when we get there. And the end of the month will be supposedly Doom Patrol number seven. Holy smokes. The moment we've all been waiting for. So <laughs> uh, that's the young animal schedule and what's planned. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, I think that'll do it. Well, until next time, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. I hold the mic like niggas hold their girls tight, but I ain't after her. Probably your actor with pearl white, the hook or not. And many times I done hit it, cause we specific more times than dimes in the prison. When you broke north, I crashed the barbecue like Riddick at the Garden Truth. That's the Garden Me, pardon you. Cheapers, I was told back to hold gain access to my beeper. Call back my secretary gatekeeper, like I ain't peeper. I said, darling, you was super, though, you know the super. Once in every lifetime
everybody. Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And this week we have a fantabulous, is that a word? No, uh, fantastic. It is now. It is now, sure. A fantabulous comic uh, issue for you. Shade the Changing Girl number 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, double digits. You know, we have. this is the first book to crack the double digits in the Young Animal line, I'm pretty sure. It is, yes, and, and I uh, think it now has it has more issues out than just about every Marvel comic out there. That's right. It's 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 blasted through <laughs> several of the Marvel comics uh, output. So, uh, why don't you tell them all about it, Chris? Yes, it is. Uh, the title is Atomic City. I think this is part three of. Uh, I don't remember what the na- the main story was called because it wasn't included in the title yeah, page. There's something like either. Little Girl Lost or something like right, that. Right, right. Um, written by uh, the the, uh, the same creative team is involved here. We have written by Cecil Castellucci, with art by Molly Zarcone, Andy Parks, and Kelly Fitzpatrick. We open on July 16th, 1945, uh, but not really. No. Uh, this is just Shade has visited the uh, Trinity site in the oh, was it Jornada del Muerto Desert in Socorro County, New Mexico. Now, Trinity was part of the Manhattan Project and was the first detonation of a nuclear weapon. It's so weird because this is uh, the the same thing happened on uh, on the new Twin Peaks a couple of weeks ago. Oh really? They went to the Trinity site. Yeah, it's like this is uh, it, I I I was I managed to sidestep Trinity for uh, you know 37 years and all of a sudden I'm being bombarded by. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> now when they did do this uh, this detonation, the resulting fireball was 600 feet wide and was powerful enough to turn sand into glass, and we'll get to that in a second, and blow out windows 120 miles away. So. Pretty big bomb. And, you know, there's there's six panels on this opening page that are really a, a redrawing of a really famous footage of an atomic Time-lapse blast footage, yeah, yeah. that peeling apart a house. You, you've almost certainly seen the footage, and it's a pretty good representation for illustration in this style. You know, I was able to certainly. recognize it. I know I'm sure you were too, Chris, so oh, yeah. that was cool. Absolutely. And uh, now after admiring the site and the sheer madness of it, uh, Shade reboards a uh, tour bus with the other tourists because you can actually visit this, Mm -hmm. uh, this obelisk here. uh, Or is it an obelisk? Uh, is there an obelisk? I have no idea. I don't even know what's there. I've never (laughs) been there. there Well, it's there in the uh, in the panel. Oh, okay, she, yeah, yeah, it's like, a, I guess, I don't know, a, trying, a pyramid? Sure, whatever it is. Sure. <laughs> now, before she hops on the bus, she pockets a piece of trinitite, which is uh, some of that glass that was, you know, pre- you know previously sand. Uh, we do find out that that's illegal to take, but, uh, you know, an avion is going to avion. She's got to have stuff shinies for her nest. That's how she mm-hmm. rolls, you know. Back on Meta, Hellboy's sister reports to Rack Shade's lover that the madness tracking worked, and they've located Shade and the M-Vest. Speaking of locating shade, we jump to Valleyville, where neighbor River is making a hot pocket. It's actually a crispy pocket, if you if we must be, you know, <laughs> truthful about it. No copyrights were infringed <laughs> here. Uh, while waiting outside uh, for his meal to cool, and uh, the inside to thaw, he peruses the internet to track the madness across the country. His room is set up with a map of the United States with the words, where is shade scrawled on it, which is <laughs> maybe a little unnecessary. You know, a, maybe he's got several maps. You know, he he's might. got one for Carmen, <laughs> San Diego, one for Waldo. This is now he's doing shade today. But anyway, sure. uh, probably thought it would look cool. Uh, luckily for his search, madness events have been occurring since shade vamoosed. There was that Sonic Boom concert, which we were there for, where she turned all the olds young. Uh, a sinkhole in Ohio that appears to have teeth. A politically partisan tornado in Missouri, 
cows jumping over the moon in Texas and uh, also the moon. I would think that between Texas and the moon is where this is really <laughs> happening. Uh, okay, well, really, they tried to jump over the moon. They didn't quite make it, but it's, yeah. it, it, both locations are involved here. I don't see why we just lo- stay in Texas. <laughs> This is true. Now, our next transition is depicted as a board game in a two-page spread. It's pretty neat to look at. Yeah. It's, uh, it's basically Shade's trek to Honey Rich's house. And you see, like, it's like, you know, uh, nuclear protesters go back two spaces, all the, all the you know, silly board game stuff. It's pretty neat. I mean, actually, unfortunately, I went, you know, going through it, it's not a very fun board game. No, no. It doesn't really have well. a lot of moments where things happen, but <laughs> the idea of it, you know, the design of it, it was is pretty cool. Well, did you have a six-sided dice to play with it? I didn't. I had no tokens. Six, I was six, just sort of fi- so maybe I should have really given it the old <laughs> the old full try. This is true. Now, uh, it ends with Shade arriving at the uh, the Honey Rich house, and uh, we see that the uh, the house has a historical monument plaque affixed to it because it was part of the, I guess it was a legendary or at least a, a you know a pop culture culty sitcom. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's you know it's the I Love Lucy of it's a cultural this world. touchstone. Although it's it's really sort of strange, like so they they filmed it. Outside of a real house. At a real house. <laughs> I, I, I would have thought this would all happen on some studio lot somewhere, but uh, it's funny. I guess it was, maybe it was the real life maybe of it's Honey. Like the, maybe it's like the Brady Bunch house, where that's like actually a house somewhere. And Possibly, yeah. The exterior was, was one yeah. shot, and the interior was something else. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, she knocks on the door, and a man who is definitely not Honey answers the door. <laughs> and he isn't very pleased to be bothered. Uh, he tells her more or less to beat it. He says uh, he's, he's used to tourists coming by, so he says, just take your picture of the house and shuffle off. Uh, Shade's confused, and you know she really wants to meet Honey. That's the whole point of this trip. Mm. Dude tells her, try Hollywood before slamming the door in her face. Yeah. So, I mean, you get the impression then Shade thinks that this... Life with Honey is a documentary, you know, that it's the real that life adventures legit. of yeah. this real person, which uh, is kind of strange. I would thought she would have understood t- television to some extent, but I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's such a pervasive show. People think it's how Earth life really is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in Valleyville, we observe a support group at the Bloomer School. It's River, Teacup, Wes, and the Mean Girls. And this is set up so they can might process their feelings regarding Megan's disappearance. Uh, the reactions are pretty mixed. Teacup is being purposefully distant towards River. Uh, she obviously feels badly for screwing, uh, you know, Shade Megan in that issue, what, three issues ago now? But uh, so, yeah. she's got, she's conflicted. She obviously has problems with what's going on. River pleads with Teacup to meet with him later so they can try and find Shade together, and she storms out. River also mentions that they've had the support group every Wednesday during lunch, which tells us that Shade's been gone at least a couple of weeks. Um, so this is this is going on. Back in New Mexico, Shade runs in with a group of anti-nuclear activists, which I think is only a scene to facilitate her delivering the sign, "Stop amassing weapons of mad destruction." I think I think so too, or at least to get that <laughs> quote out there, "weapons of yeah. mad destruction." Uh, after that, you tweet she, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like uh, <laughs> I can just see the shirt already, you know. Um, after that, she wanders into the Atomic Lounge bar, where she's almost immediately booed for being underage, booted for being underage. But it's a good thing that uh, Shade stole that old woman's ID last issue, and that they look, like, similar. Yeah, they have the same haircut. Same kind of haircut. They're both white girls, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> a bartender takes one look at the ID, starts pouring. That's a bartender kind of guy that I would know. And Shade <laughs> drinks, surrounded by a bunch of sad sex. 
And we hop back to Meta, where Rax Lover uh, sends a pair of Metan agents to Earth, and they appear to materialize at that Trinity obelisk there. Uh, we briefly check in with NASA or ASEA. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's like a legit thing. I couldn't find anything in the research, but uh, no, no, no. I, this, this is this is fake NASA. Yeah, it's AC. <laughs> this is the first time I think we've seen this. It's just some weird. I think so. Yeah. Because uh, what I was able to find that they're a uh, direct selling and multi-level marketing company based in Salt Lake City, yeah, or I don't think that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Or a scammy water bottle dietary supplement company. Yeah, probably. So we'll just probably not. Yeah. We'll, we'll just say it's a it's a uh, a phone NASA and uh, they smell aliens at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, back in Valleyville, River is pleading his case to Teacup in his makeshift war room. Uh, Teacup argues that the madness events might just be a sign of the strange times they live in. She wishes River well in River. <laughs> she wishes River well in his hunt. She says she'll back him up at home. You know she'll cover for him. But uh, as for you know doing the footwork, he's on his own. Uh, we uh, get a, a series of vignettes here. We hop back to Matt Meta for one panel. Uh, we see our old friend LaPuck, and he knows he's being used as a tool. He he calls himself a divining rod to find Loma. Uh, now, uh, he needs to forget her with all his hate yeah. in order to make himself unusable. He's turned a corner here, though. He does not love Loma anymore, folks. He is really mad at her. He is. Uh, we hop to uh, New Mexico. We have Shade drinking with the sad sacks, and they're all making bird noises. Yeah. Uh, tweet, tweet, coo-coo, cluck-cluck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we jump to a single panel in, uh, we're going to guess it's Hollywood. Okay. Uh, where uh, Honey Rich is diagnosed as terminal. And the doctor tells her that if she wants to live, she would require an entire new body. Well, there's no way you can get a new body in this <laughs> comic, so I guess that'll be the end of her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back in New Mexico, the Metans arrive at the Atomic Lounge, and a fight breaks out. One of those sad sacks is performed to a pile of, like, seeds, sort of like, I don't know, uh, beans? Uh, kind of looks like pink orzo, you know? I don't know what yeah. it is, but yeah. sort of shatters or dissolves into whatever it is. Uh, Shade is ticked and refers to herself as a weapon, and then starts to scream. And we can see this: is, there's a pulsating light, or that's what it kind of we imagine something emanates out of her like belly area, uh, out of like a little pink circle, and uh, probably something she ate, you know, a few issues back, if you recall, Maybe. when she nibbled on that. Uh, what was that? What she was eating? Uh, she ate that guy. She ate a no. She ate a piece of uh, Megan. All right, that's right. At the very, that was like the last dissolution of of her being. Yeah. Uh, then she erupts with rage, destroying the entire place. Mm-hmm. Back to Meta, Hellboy's sister and the lover, or Rack's lover. I can't remember if we were referring to him as a, his Rack's boyfriend or Rack's girlfriend. I don't remember. It seems to be both apply, so whatever you like. <laughs> I think so. So we'll just say Rack's lover. Yeah. Uh, they lose the signal. They, and it's weird. They, they call it the M-Vest and the M-Coat throughout this issue. I've noticed so, that, uh, too. Uh, yeah. I, I was taking it to mean originally that you know the M coat is what she's wearing now it's sort of an updated version but I, it seems to be interchangeable so I, yeah. I don't know but the M uh, you know item whatever it is yes the M attire yeah uh, now they hook Lapuck up for another round of uh, tracking hoodoo but this time it it just ain't working because you know he hates her now mm-hmm. he he says it many many times uh Rax lover threatens to send Hellboy's sister to her if she can't figure something out 
Uh, back on Earth, we see a hazmat team arrive at the Demolished Club, and we learn that they can see those mad, madness paisleys. Mm-hmm. On they're the sort ground. of like lying on the ground and in between things, and they're they're, mm-hmm. they're like they say definitely looks toxic, not from Earth. So they're they're gonna they can see do them. something with them. Yeah. Now uh, the event is reported on the news, and River is watching. He texts Teacup in a last-ditch effort to have her join him. Uh, She doesn't reply yet. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wrap up back in the desert where Shade has built a nest out of twigs, flowers, and animal skulls inside the limbs of a cactus, which doesn't seem terribly comfortable. Um, (laughs) And uh, we hear that next next issue, we're uh, going to be Hollywood-bound. All right, or Hollyweird, as it puts Mm. it there. I like this last page. It's something... Creepy and funny, this last panel of her, like, in the nest. Yep. Kind of creeps me out, kind of is silly, but is also, like, you know, meaningful, obviously, to this sad, character. Sad, yeah. Sa- there's a sadness to it, and it's uh, it's strange that we can look at a picture of a young girl sitting in a nest and think of it as a sad, sad picture. <laughs> uh, that's, I guess that's what it is. Uh, the backup, which Chris doesn't read, was just more life with honey. Uh, same kind of, you know, pluses and minuses as before, this time. Honey and her best friend neighbor, they decide to uh, increase awareness of uh, nuclear proliferation and ducking and covering by making a little song about it. And uh, it turns out that uh, it it makes everyone freak out. So her husband calms him down and says, don't mind what the pretty what the lady says. So more of the same kind of thing, basically. And if you're interested in that, they uh, they actually included all three pages of the backup in the preview. Oh yeah, for the for the issue, the oh, issue really? preview oh, so there it is. all three pages. So if you are if you are just reading this for the backup, there you go. You don't need to buy <laughs> anything. It's right there yeah. in the preview. Uh, I mean, you know, I really I don't I can't say I hate it, but it is the same thing over and over. It's the same joke, you know, mm-hmm. crazy, uh, you know, gender roles in the 1950s, and uh, you know, all that usual stuff. So. Whatever it is, then in the back, there's the who's who this month seems to be about John Rivera, who writes Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Uh, There's a little bit of his script. There's a pinup of uh, Flex Mentolo. Mm -hmm. Some sketch of that. That, That's really all there is. I I like the pinup better than the usual letter. Yeah. Is that is that something? Because the letter was a little uh, a little too cute by half. It gets um, a little got a little indulgent at times, but you know, I you know overall. Uh, I don't. I don't mind that stuff. And you know, the the writing stuff is cool. I mean, if there's people out there that are want to write or draw comics, then these might be their first opportunities to see the nuts the and bolts of it. So, yeah, the process of it. So, I would I would give that stuff a, you know, general thumbs up in idea if not execution. But uh, as for the rest of the issue, what'd you think, Chris? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's, I don't know if it's just that so many of the stories that we're reading right now are like still <laughs> going forward, but there is a little bit of fatigue where it's like, yeah, I'd like to get, I'd like to get through this eventually. Um, hopefully, it's coming, you know, sooner than later. But I can't hold that against the issue because I did really enjoy what we were presented here. Um, I gave it an 8.25 Whoa. out of 10. Whoa, you went into quarters on this one, huh? That's uh, <laughs> yes, I really, broke into the hundreds. really slivered it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd say I'd say my biggest problem at this time is the I just want to see this this connection, this meeting of you know all these different people looking for yeah. shade to convert. It's clear that's what's going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen at the Trinity site. Although if she's going to Hollywood, then they're going to miss her. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. Eve, that might be something too. Maybe everyone shows up where they think Shade is, and she's not there, and then it becomes a it's a mad, 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 mad world race together or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I really I have no problems with the issue itself. You know, there, there was a, you know a little bit of commentary, but it wasn't like hit you over the head or out of place. I felt like you know as far as like you know what nuclear proliferation means and. Uh, well, you know, I, I originally thought that nuclear war was a good thing. Until uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> pro, pro-nuclear people might come away with a more negative uh, feeling about this, but if you think that nuclear war is pretty much a bad idea, then I think you'll be in accord with this. And, and yes. again, it's not, the, it's not the crux of the issue. No, which, no which not at all. It would have been in some other comics. I think that would have been what the comic was about, <laughs> and that's not what this is about. I thought it was, uh, it was cool that it was used as a... Site, you know, indicative. Yeah, it, was just, it was just sprinkles, yeah. It was, for, you know, it suited the story instead of the story suiting it. Uh, yes. Other than that, you know, yeah, I, I have a great time with this comic. I would love to see it go into a new chapter, but I would have to say, knowing comics like we do, we probably have at least two more issues before that probably. happens, right? You know, we, we gotta, we gotta hit those. To yep. Exactly, we gotta hit those uh, divisible by six marks usually, but who knows? Uh, I've been wrong. Three times before, and I won't mention them. Anyway, I would have given it, I think, an eight, uh, mm-hmm. personally. Uh, but I would have been, you know, thrilled to do so. And you probably could jump me up to an eight point five on a on a good day or something like that. So uh, yeah, that was uh, this issue, and I guess the next one's out next month. But next week, we do have yet another Young Animal comic. This is becoming what? a condition, right, Chris? How many weeks in a row is this now? I think this is seven. Seven weeks in a row with Young Animal comics. I think they figured out when they don't put out three on one day, they actually can spread them out the rest of the month <laughs> or something. Uh, we had a couple of weird ones like that, right? Where two, two in one week, and then uh, yeah, so many. Yeah, and then nothing just, for a month. And nothing for you know weeks. Yeah. Uh, but next next week is uh, Bug: The Adventures of Forager by the All Reds. That should be issue number three. I'm sure it will be more Kirby stuff. If I recall, they're going to go hang out with Atlas, right? I think so. And that's where we left it last time. They walked through the portal of convenience. <laughs> next <laughs> next issue, convenience, and uh, I think that's what they said. So. We'll be looking forward to that, but I think I don't really have any. I, I don't think any young animal news happened this week. Actually, you know what? I did see that uh, sort of young animal related, but uh, the Umbrella Academy got picked up for a series Netflix, at Netflix. Yeah. That's Gerard Way's like first comic book series, and that doesn't really directly affect Young Animal. Although, if he's going to build a relationship Might set with them, back. it could do that too. <laughs> you know, exactly. Really, the, the, a lot will hang on this, but in the Hope upon hope, or what could possibly, potentially, who knows, happen in the in the distant future, if he has a good relationship with them, we could see something like a Doom Patrol show or a Shade show or something. You know what I mean? I I don't know though. It's uh, those are also DC characters. There's a whole other true thing in there. But I think well, that's I all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's other other hands in that pot. But uh, do you have anything else for him out there, Chris? Nope, think that'll do it. Well, if that's all we got, then until next time, I want everyone to keep it young and animalistic. See ya.
everybody. Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have a swell book to read for you this week, or, you know, a comic book from Young Animal. <laughs> it is uh, Bug the Adventures of Forager, number three. Storytellers Lee Allred and Michael Allred, and the colorist is Laura Allred. You can call this whole comic an Allred joint. All red all over. Exactly. All red, it ain't dead. I don't know what the... Got to work on that motto. So, if you recall, last issue, uh, Bug was stepped through the portal of convenience in uh, that mine that General Electric was in, right? The Orichalca mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, now Bug finds himself falling from a great height. Everywhere around him is lava flats, except for a haystack of convenience place right below Bug, and he falls into it. Uh, kind of comes out coughing. Kazuko and the teddy bear, they're floating gently to the ground on that shield backpack thing that Bug is normally wearing, right? That's what that is. Am I am I right about that? Yeah, it, it looks like something that you'd slide down a uh, like a snow-covered hill in. Yeah, it, it, it kind of looks like it reminds me of the Alpine slide even, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> uh, but they just sort of like drift down, float down like a leaf. And uh, then the teddy bear instructs Bug to prepare the yak for a journey, and now there's a yak there. And his horns sort of resemble saxophones, which uh, Bug makes a note of, but I don't know what meaning. It seems doesn't it seem to have some meaning to it, Chris? But I couldn't. I don't know what it could be. They they pointed it out, but I I can't uh, I can't figure out what the significance of it is. The saxophone yak. So uh, after that yak. Yakety sax. There maybe. Hey. That's what, there you go. You got yeah. Benny Hill. So. Uh, then the yak sneezes all over Bug and uh, covers his face with a good quantity of green phlegm. And uh, then later on, Bug is setting up camp in some woods with the gang. He's putting together a campfire. And uh, Kazuko produces a can of chili o or chill-o-chili from inside hmm. the teddy bear. Uh, Bug begins cooking it over the campfire like a marshmallow, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> or like, you know, pretty stupid but great. And it, it does say... <laughs> Don't try this at home, kids. It is a dangerous way to make your chili. And uh, just then, Atlas bursts on the scene. Who? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully you'll tell us. Okay, Atlas first appeared in the very first issue of First Issue Special. This is April 1975. His family and his clan, they were slain by the raiders of Hissa. The the, the Lizard King was there. Uh, now, then Atlas was raised by a wise and mysterious traveler. That was the fellow who stole the Orichalcum last issue, right. uh, Chagra. Uh, now, because of an alien crystal carried by Atlas, uh, Chagra theorized that Atlas was one of the people of Crystal Mountain. Uh, that uh, crystal was uh, what the basically what the leader of his tribe would carry. Uh-huh. Um, now Chagra agrees to help Atlas achieve his revenge against the Lizard King, uh, but only if Atlas leads him to the Crystal Mountain. Now the teddy bear seems to have known that Atlas was on his way. Uh, you know Chagra is right behind him, incidentally. Atlas and Chagra smash up the campsite. <laughs> they, they were very uh, very possessive of campsites, it seems. Yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> while that uh, while that's going down, Bug does manage to get a good punch in on Chagra. This is a pretty uh, good page, too. You know, you kind of got Atlas, is. like, splashed in the middle and, and panels going every which panels way. Panels, like, and, shattered each yeah, way. Yeah, it's, it's good. pretty cool. Now, while, uh, while Bug cl- clutches the teddy bear, he and Atlas fight. Though, really, Atlas tries to punch him while Bug, you know, he's 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 doing the uh, movement of water here. He's That's dodging right. everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, now, there's a little commentary about Atlas having a need to be before everyone else. Uh, he has a first issue. But, hmm. yeah. uh, while Bug balances with one finger on Atlas's head, Kazuko offers Atlas the can of chili. And he's not very pleased by it. 
Uh, he seems unusually mad. angry, even like it's like hey, chill out, dude. You know, it's like that. But anyway, yeah, yeah he's just, just so mad. mad he can't just eat it immediately. It's encased in metal. <laughs> now Bug smashes his face into the mud, and then Kazuko offers him some carrots. Uh, this is a this is a joke to Alice. It makes him laugh, and he uh, decides that Bug and his crew are just good sports. He slaps Bug on the back playfully, as any you know big hulking guy would do to a uh, yeah. little fella he finds uh, you know exactly entertaining. Uh, now Atlas grabs Chagra and walks away. Says they'll find their own campsite and leave them to theirs. Uh, Chagra reminds Atlas of their bargain. He leads Atlas to Hissa, and Atlas takes him to Crystal Mountain. Then later, they he puts together the campsite, it's reconstructed, and Kazuko puts carrots in the chili, and Bug tries to stop her. And for some reason, I think this also must be significant. What do you think, Chris? Hmm. Carrots in the chili. Chili carrots. I don't know. I don't mind carrots in my chili. So uh, I, it's it's so. true. It can happen. Although I don't know if you just <laughs> if you throw them in with the uh, you know green and everything the way she did it. But that is yeah, uh, yeah. that's you okay. Probably comic peel them and chop them up. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I feel I feel like there's got to be another you know yeah, yeah sax type gag here or something. But I just don't know what it is. Chili uh, cone carrot. I don't. Know. Yeah. I don't, it's like I'm really trying to turn it over <laughs> in my head. What's the pun? You got to give me. We need we need a director's cut of this thing. Then uh, Bug wonders why they didn't take uh, Chagra out now before he steals the Oracalcum from General Electric. Apparently that's why he's there, and that's what happened last issue. They followed him through that portal. Teddy Bear explains that they're in a time from when before Chagra even did it, and it's not really fair to go around punching people for something they might do someday, which I think is a pretty good uh, way to live. Teddy that's Bear claims... I've, that's how I've managed to make it here 37 years. I, you know what I mean? I mean to be fair, that's it. You only, we can only <laughs> do the... Affect the things that are actually done, you know, actionable offenses. You can't just go around getting people for their minds. But uh, mm-hmm. Teddy Bear claims to be Huli Jing, a mystical nine-tailed fox spirit from the Far East. But then Kazuko reveals that he's actually just a teddy bear named Hooligan. And she does this by showing that she wrote his and her name on his foot when she was four years old. I don't know what that's about, but all right. Yeah. Um, Bug laughs, but Hooligan points out that he's no more a bug than Hooligan is a fox. And he really seems to know a lot about Bug, right? And, uh, yeah. There's a, there's, this, this teddy bear's got some inside there's a track. Thing, yeah, there's yeah. A, we're going to find out. He might probably high-father himself or something. Uh, Hooligan explains that at the end of Cosmic Odyssey, which was a four-issue prestige series in December 88 to March 1989 by Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola, uh, the end of that bug died, and that's, you know, we know that already really kind of from the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Highfather instructed Orion to send the corpse back to the bug colony, and this was to teach Orion a lesson about tolerance. Uh, the other bugs in the colony tried to eat Bug's body for its protein, and the shock from this taught Orion a lesson, and the same one that Bug must learn, namely that he is not a bug. He's a new god. Now, how? Does this make any sense to you at all, Chris? Uh, I, why I would Orion know. learn the lesson? I, I, I'm really unclear, like, like what... How yeah, cause we work. never we never heard that because the last we heard from Orion here was that he still thought Bug was just a, a joke. Yeah, he didn't he have was, any respect right. for him, begrudging or otherwise. So how? Just that Batman how would punched him. Feeding Bug to the Bug Colony prove otherwise to Orion. You know that, that's that's yeah. that's where I had trouble getting with this this uh, parable here or whatever it is. It seems uh, like High Father was uh, he was taking a pretty big risk. <laughs> he really was. 
And and because he well, could have just let him get eaten. We'll say in a minute. I mean, when I first read this, I was like, oh, I thought that's what happened to Bug is that hmm. he got eaten, and the shock from that, from watching a man get eaten by other men, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be like, whoa, oh wait, that's not. This is not the animal kingdom I thought it was. Uh, but as we'll see, so so anyway, uh, Hooligan then tells uh, Bug, pull, lift up his shirt, points out he has a belly button. He says, this proves you were born, not hatched from bug eggs. And as they fall asleep, Hooligan tells Bug that what they actually did is they laid his corpse against the source wall as per the new Genesis custom, and he became part of the source wall. So he wasn't eaten, right? I don't think so. What? Yeah, I don't think he was eaten. What the, I thought the I thought the source wall was just like a wall in space. I didn't know that like you could actually walk up to it. It you know like, it's I thought you stayed away from it because you could get sucked into it. Yeah, well, I I think that's true. I think the way the way Kirby had done it, it was actually like could be reached by on New Genesis. But okay. I think, I think it depends on how who's drawing it. You know what I mean? And I think that they've kind of made it now where the source wall goes around the universe you know it's separate because so. it's what uh it's what like so you know you could say it separates the marvel and dc universe it's just a wall in space that you can't pass through yeah. otherwise you're going to become part of it except they did pass through it in green lanterns not long ago but that's another story that we don't want to talk <laughs> about because it was very no. bad the first lantern don't read that one folks anyway <laughs> uh so anyway, I, I was just confused about what you know like i say like if they had brought Bug to the Bug Colony, and then Orion saw them eat, you know, seeing cannibals, cannibalism, that seems like a shocking thing that might make you say, well, wait a second, these aren't yeah. bugs. You know, what, what, am I, what are we doing here? These are human beings, or these are even new gods. But then to say, but that didn't really happen, they put him up against the source wall. And then, it, and then what happens is you become part of the source wall. That's the yeah. forever longevity of, you know, a new god. Uh yeah I don't I just didn't get it Chris I'm sorry I I maybe I, did I did I miss a trick here or something I just, <laughs> uh I was just unclear about what that whole story was supposed to symbolize and mean uh and that was kind of disappointing but hmm. so Hooligan tells Bug get some sleep and he'll be running for his life in the morning and the next morning they're all riding on the saxophone yak to the same city that Atlas and Chagra are headed off to. Hooligan tells everyone to play it cool as they pass by the city gods. Uh, they ask people to declare all fruits and carrots. So maybe uh, maybe carrots are uh, are too valuable to throw in chili. I don't know. Then uh, <laughs> someone tells the god that bug stole his yak. Uh, he says, I'll never forget that a crushed ant smell. <laughs> I don't know. They did. They used uh, another issue, too. There was these smells like crushed yeah. ants. I'm like, I don't even know what that smells like, but all right. I know. It's like we're going to have to do some field testing here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the gods advance, and Kaizuko uses her jury-rigged mother box to escape through a boom tube. Hooligan says this is where Bug should start running for his life. And so they run into the city to find Atlas confronting Hissa, or Hizia, who burned his village and killed his parents way back in First Issue Special. Uh, Hooligan says that this is the turning point for Chagra, and they can't let him get Atlas's alien crystal. Hissa laughs and says they eradicated the slavers years ago. Uh, Atlas produces the crystal and says Hissia, it says that Hissia is lying. Hissia is such a hard word to say. Yeah, I know. Hisa, 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 Hisa. He says that Hisa lies. Uh, he smashes the crystal into Hisa's face, and it seems to collapse. And it turns out that Hisa was actually just a bunch of snakes wearing his skin. What? La I, I don't is know. that a thing? Did, did, I, I don't understand. Is this a Kirby yeah. thing that I don't and know shouldn't about? Shouldn't it have been lizards? 
That would have made maybe a little more sense, but the whole right? thing is like, what is happening? I don't, is this is this a Kirby? Did you read a story that I don't know about? Maybe a uh, Atlas uh, second to third appearance or something? I have no idea. Atlas's second and third appearance was in James Robinson's Superman run in 2010. first issue. He was special. a soldier. <laughs> and I, I didn't. Even, I didn't even look into that. And then he showed up again in, uh, I think, in the new 52. I was looking into it, but uh, I really only. I only looked at the Kirby issue, thinking that's all that'll matter. And this made sure. no sense to me. Like, oh. what? It it started to feel like is Bug having just a crazy dream? Is that all that's happening here? Uh, yeah, we might find that this might end with him still in a cocoon. Who knows? Or you know, still with you know, Sandman is still uh, doing something. Maybe he is being eaten by the <laughs> bug colony. Anyway, no, they killed all the slaves years ago and assumed their guises to to warn people off the place. Here, yeah, this is these snakes. I'm assuming. Uh, Alice is stunned. His purpose has been stolen from him. And so he, he drops the crystal. Yeah, he falls to his knees and he can't yeah. even hold the crystal anymore. Uh, Bug tries to stop Chagra from picking it up, but Chagra grabs the crystal anyway, and Chagra disappears before Bug can snatch him. City guards come storming in, then Kazuko shows up with a convenient boom tube for escape. Now, so the guards don't know the slavers are actually snakes in disguise, right? <laughs> that, that, that's what, if they're coming in to like stop the, the, the interlopers, then they assume right? that the slavers... So don't they wonder where the slaves are? Aren't they like, what do they think? It's just not a very successful slave camp? Like, <laughs> oh, man, like we really, really doing bad this quarter, you know? Like It's I, been six months since we've had a slave. I, I don't I don't. It's like suddenly the guards are hopping to it. They're just like, well, the job pays well, but we don't really do anything. <laughs> anyway, so everyone jumps in the boom tube, not, this, not the guards, but everyone else, and they wind up at the Crystal in the Mountain. Now, this is a place where every facet, basically the whole place, just imagine, made of crystals. Yeah. And every facet reveals a possible alternate reality. The uh, hooligan explains this would be as opposed to probable alternate realities, which are parallel universes. So make sure you write that down. It probably will be on the test. Uh, there, Chagra is, is running various reality shards the way someone would run computer simulation. And he's created a program for it. The Computer Heuristic Artificial Research Gathering Assistant which spells Charga, not Chagra, as Bug points out, and really annoyed me. If you, you know, as Chris yeah. and I were talking before this, if you can make this, this stupid acronym work, don't use it, you know? Yeah, it, it seems like they were purposely going for it to be wrong just so Bug can make a joke, and it's like, uh, and the, a the, little too to clever. Me, to me, the joke is the successful acronym, you know what I'm saying? That's the better That's the better <laughs> that, joke that would be to be have a successful joke. acronym. And be it's like, like, hey, oh, that works. It actually works, uh, tee-hee, and you move on. But yeah, to, to point it out and have Bug point it, it just made a whole mess of it, but, you know. Uh, not the not the worst thing here, but definitely just more than this issue that really just kind of nagged at me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Chagra has gone bonkers from realizing he's a computer simulation, which he's not, right? Or is he? I don't know. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> uh, in one of the reality shards, Atlas sees that Chagra is the one who sold his village's location to slavers in the first place. He gets pretty mad and tries to break the whole place apart with his super strength. Then Bug grabs Kazuko's mother box and uses it to calm Atlas down. Yes, just then, Chagra learns about the Omphalos. Omphalos, I think it is. Omphalos, there we go. And Omphalos is a religious stone or artifact. 
sort of like you know Stonehenge, for example, that's uh, made of omphalosis. Which actually might not be the plural, but I, I, I like the way it sounds. Omphalosy. Yeah. <laughs> now, Chagra is about to boom tube away when a domino plops into Bug's hand, and he knows what he must do. Uh, when Chagra jumps into his boom tube, Bug uses Kazuko's mother box to make it a negative boom tube. No one's ever done that before. No. Uh, now, this seems to have blown the top off Crystal Mountain, though everyone uh, seems to be okay. Uh, but Chagra is, he's gone. He vanished. He disappeared. Uh, but it was too late. He'd already stepped through, the, through a facet before Bug messed with his boom tube. And now they have no way of knowing just where he went off to. Now, because of the mysterious entity behind the Mother Box's power is seemingly dead. Oh, no. Uh, mm-hmm. Which maybe that little teaser, quote unquote, that carrot, maybe that's the joke with the carrot the whole time, uh, uh, is mildly interesting because I, I always liked the mother box and always thought it was, you know, a literary convenience. Uh, are they are they dangling a carrot for us? That's Could what I mean. Yeah, it? yeah. Maybe <laughs> yes. maybe that's what the whole maybe that's what the carrot throughout is mm. supposed to be. But uh, the rest of the book. Uh, I found pretty disappointing. I'm just uh, yes. quickly do the backup. Um, sure. And actually forgot to grab that guy's name again. It, in our comp, it wasn't mentioned who who was the uh, fellow that did it. I can find it in just one second. But well, you go through it. I'll, I'll get the name. You you go through okay. the. Okay. Uh... Well, the, the story essentially from what we got, we think we're pretty sure we we're missing a page. But uh, a fellow in a funny mask named Jack Sheridan happens upon an escape from, or maybe they're breaking into the crime school for delinquent girls. That's part of what wasn't clear to me. Uh, they're all wearing striped prison uniforms, so I'm going to assume these are the delinquent girls, though. Uh, they yes. must. They catch Jack and push him into the Phantom Zone. They actually handcuff him, and they want him to enter the Phantom Zone and rescue Madame Braun, their crime boss. So I think we missed a page, but that's essentially the yeah. gist that I got. Uh, the art style is very, like... Uh, if you read the McSweeney's, you'll find a lot of art there like that. I don't know about another way to really put it, but... Um, well, see, the artist here is James Harvey, okay. and uh, the character of Midnight was created by Jack Cole, the guy behind Plastic Man. Oh, all right. So, there you go. They're, they're digging deep into the uh, lore, I guess, of DC's owned properties from mm-hmm. <laughs> Fox Features Syndicate, <laughs> yes. if, they, if they want to, but that's fine. Um yeah, I you know Chris didn't like it. I thought it was visually okay this backup, but at the same time it looked cool. We got we got two. I think it must be only three pages. So I I, I find it hard to really go. You know when when a backup is eight pages, then we can start to really scru- then you can uh, judge scrutinize it. Yeah. it. But three pages, you're just getting uh, stuff stuff from someone's sketchbook. And then of course we wrap up with the uh, same who's who we were getting all month: the John Rivera and a little bit of script process for Cave Carson, which is perfectly fine with me. But uh, back to the bug thing. This was definitely <laughs> the worst issue, uh, the most down issue. It really seemed unfocused and uh, didn't know what it wanted to be, you know? Yeah. Um, the whole the whole time through, we essentially get sort of a small extension of the same plot from the first issue special, which was the only appearance of, of Atlas, with a lot of, like, cute little quips that were not that cute and a little too no. frequent. Um yeah. Then the computer simulation thing, I just didn't really get it or think it was very interesting. You know, I thought it was kind of stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. But the very last thing, the idea that there's an entity behind the mother box, is the only thing I come away with. That's I'm interesting. Like, that's yeah. interesting. You know, like, all right, that's something. Because the mother box has always been a mystery. Like, how does that really work? It's 
I, like, I always call it the, uh, you know, great plot device. That's really all it is. But yeah. uh, overall, this issue was a disappointment. I can't deny it. Art is as good as it ever was. The art's pretty, yeah. And, uh, you know, coloring, everything is nice if you flip through it. But the story was really kind of incoherent and uh, disjointed. And I didn't love it. What did you think, Chris? I thought the story was a little too satisfied with itself. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, it just feels like a lot of these books, and I'm, I'm, I'm including the backup here. It's like let's dredge up a property no one's thought of for a while and point out how silly it is, yeah. or point out how how clever we are by finding it. It's like I, like who was asking for Atlas? I mean, it's like okay, well, we have the, we found this weird comic from the 70s that has this guy in it. So no, we're gonna no, put I mean, on the devil's advocate side, though, you could say the same thing for, you know, Bronze Age for Sandman Bug. or Bug even. <laughs> but, you know, like I saw Bronze Age Sandman and I was like, oh, boy, I know he's a stupid character. It's something I love about him. And, and I, I, as crazy as it is, you know, there are Atlas fans out there in the world. As as little Atlas <laughs> as there is, there's a guy out there that's like, oh, man, I love that comic. But how many are I'm we I'm sure a lot more Chris? do now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, now, now the <laughs> Atlas, the run on the uh, first issue special is just a. Uh, Spiked, but uh, I throw that on eBay. I do, I do see what you're saying though. It's, it's like, because uh, there's, you know, there's a limited number. We know the characters, we know the work. Yeah. It's there, you know. You're just gonna keep pulling them up over and over again. And I, I wouldn't mind so much if there was a story worth reading here. And I don't really sure. feel like there is. Uh, but it, that, that's the whole thing I'm getting at. It. The yeah. whole thing is to, to put a guy on stage and be like, this is Atlas. Yep. He's from the 70s. Look at him. It's like, okay, it's really tell us to, a story. Trying to be too cute by half, you're right, yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely. So I, yeah, in, I, in the end, I gave it a score of a 6 out of 10 because, you know, it still is an actual comic book. And it looks. And it's still pretty. Yeah. It looks good, and, you know, it, it has some moments that, are you know, don't, you know, it's not like it's a, a horror show all the way throughout, but, you know, those parts that we really, and I'm sorry for extending this uh, segment to Chris and the listeners, but. I really had trouble with some points in this comic. Like, what is happening? Yeah, no, it definitely. <laughs> and and you know we we're ready to read weird comics too. We're not it's not like we mm-hmm. didn't walk into this expecting to see a straightforward thing, but this was too much. What do you think you might have given it? I I, I wouldn't want to give it anything lower than a six. Yeah. So I think, uh, and and it's so disappointing because it's this was supposed to be not yeah. a six. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, uh, we just did all red, so I, we have yeah. high hopes, but uh, I don't know. It it is just one issue of, and we have three more. Maybe they'll yeah. uh, turn it around, or maybe they'll do the Newsboy Legion next time, and I'll be all giddy again. <laughs> uh, but next week we do have a another Young Animal comic book. This is uh, a streak we got going on here. Uh, Unprecedented. How long? It really is. How long will this go on? <laughs> maybe they needed to slip this fifth book in just to make it happen. <laughs> it's uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, number ten. So. We will read and discuss that one. I'm definitely looking forward to that. If you recall, they got flung. They went to that world of the giant alien the giant people, alien and peoples. they got kind of just flung into some woods. So we'll see what happened to them. But mm-hmm. uh, if that's all we got this week. Oh, you know what? I wanted to mention one last thing. I don't usually mention Chris's blog on here. Okay. Uh, but in this case, I think it's it's relevant. You reviewed <laughs> uh, First Issue Special number one featuring Atlas. And frankly, it's... I think it's probably as good as just reading the comic. It's very uh, thorough. Find it on his blog. Chris is on infiniteearths.com. That's it. Sorry. There is no more to it. Uh, Chris is on Infinite Earths. And, uh, you know, use the Google search. Come on. You're all smart, internet-savvy people. I'm sure you can search for Atlas or Kirby or First Issue Special or something and take a look. 
And uh, frankly, you'll find the story is not a lot different than parts of this it's, one. It's very boilerplate revenge story. Yeah. And, 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 of course, like most first-issue special issues, there ain't no ending. Yeah, that's how special it was. <laughs> you see? That it's a, uh, it ends with a, uh, thus a great saga begins. If you would like to read more about Atlas, write to us at, it's, and then they give the address. It's so weird that Atlas was the first of that series, too, you know? And I know why. It's because it was, it was Jack a Kirby, Kirby yeah. but... And, you know, talk about a fairly uninspired, not, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's no, uh, it's no Thor. Anyway, uh, if that's all we got for him this week, Chris, uh, I think we're gonna tell them all to, uh, what would we say, young, be young and animalistic. <laughs> that's what we say. Yes. Yep. <laughs> segment on the weirdsciencedccomics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one book to read for you this week or talk about this week, and that book is Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, number 10, written by John Rivera, story by Gerard Way and John Rivera, art and cover by Michael Avon Oming, and interior and cover colors by Nick Filardi. Uh, now, if you recall, Cave Carson and team and pretty much everybody was flung off of the face of a giant alien into some woods atop a bluff. Would you call that a bluff? Sure. Uh, so anyway, we, the comic opens and Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Again, it's back. <sighs> he wakes up in some kind of pod. We actually get it from Cave Point View. And uh, the eye, a circle has been carved into the glass encasement around the pod, and the eye, we figure out, has worked its way back into his socket. And he's not really thrilled about it. Uh, he's more upset by the loss of the Mighty Mole, the mining machine that he stole from EBX, from being flung into a tree or wherever. It's pretty much toast. It's uh, not coming back. Wild Dog, Chloe, Johnny Blake, and his folks from EBX, and then the Muldrugan Batman fan club, they're all okay. Because Cave thought to shove them all into stasis pods before crash landing. We also call those convenience pods. <laughs> uh, I, that's, uh, that's a name brand. So yes. uh, Cave remembers all that's, those sweet past adventures he had in the Mighty Mole, including the conception of his daughter Chloe, which pretty much grosses her out. It's uh, mm-hmm. kind of a weird time to bring it up, but I guess there's no time then to, when you're watching your favorite vehicle be uh, salvaged for parts. I wonder if that's why my dad was crying when they towed the Buick away. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too many too many good memories in that backseat. <laughs> so now with the cybernetic eye back in his head, he's seeing that ghostly form of his dead wife, Mauser, again. But now he's 
chasing her around for some reason, which he wasn't really doing before, right? He was sort of interacting yeah, with her. she was just sort of on the periphery, but now he's actually, yeah. he's engaging and he's, following her, yeah. And, like, really calling after her, so it's getting intense. Yeah, and it looks like while they were regrouping, the, the Wisp of Fungus critter was uh, taken over the planet and destroyed all indigenous life. In fact, the whole forest is uh, fungus-controlled, and it's, uh, you know, it's <laughs> manipulated and trying to kill everyone. Uh, except Cave, of course, who is, as we said, running off to uh, chase Ghost Mazra. Uh, elsewhere, a hooded figure in a very cool, in very cool wraparound sunglasses regards a giant chunk of pink crystal. It's like a big uh, monolith sticking out of the ground here. Yeah. Um, this is like the crystal that the Whisper uh, used to slip into this dimension last issue. Uh, he tosses a uh, another cybernetic eye toward the rock, and it's weird because I wasn't totally clear that sh- that shade that cave had uh-huh. gotten his eye back. I thought this might be the same one. At, at very, I had to flip back. In the very beginning, I I was sort of on the you know on the fence yeah. about it, but as I reread it, yeah, you're right. I was like, oh yeah, and you can see it in his in there. He's definitely got something it's red, instead yeah. of nothing. Yeah. And uh, he uh, tosses this eye towards the rock, and he calls it uh, he calls this rock Shard Forty Seven. Just then, he sees an explosion in the woods near the horizon. Back in the forest, a giant tree is attacking Team Carson. Uh, it's not really a tree. It's actually the possessed form of Alexa, one of the rogue EBX employees. Uh, we neglected to recall these people beyond Johnny Blake. Uh, they all seem like, you know, they're your generic red shirt uh, yeah. cannon fodder. I, I, ever, I mean, deal. one of them died last issue. They've just been kind of hanging around. But these are all the people that, you know, the renegades. Yeah, they're just they're just fresh meat. Uh, now Cave is unable to fight back. He's so enthralled by this vision of his Mazra. Uh, the Batman fan club puts up a good fight, but they're overwhelmed by Avery's vines. Uh, one of the Mulgrugans is about to be dragged into a gaping, toothy mouth formed in the bank of the Avery tree when a bolt of green light slashes through Avery and completely cuts her tree. Uh, it's that mysterious hood figure before uh, who reveals himself to be, get this, Cave Carson... Junior. Boing, whoa. Uh-oh. He's, uh, Cave Junior is surprised to see his dad and that he's so young. But admits that if you keep hopping through time and space, it's bound to happen eventually, which I guess, Probably. you know, over time, by, by rights. Stands to reason. Uh, after being introduced to his extra-dimensional sister, Chloe, Cave Jr. says that uh, his Earth is being terrorized by the Whisper at all, and he's hopping around trying to find a way to stop it. Being with his son from another dimension allows Cave to get over the Mazra spirit for now. She sort of even seems to, like, give the okay in that one scene. She's mm-hmm. behind him, but it's unclear what the Mazra spirit is even all about anyway. Uh, Cave asks his son who his mother was, and he says it was Christine Madison. This is a member of Cave Carson's original spelunking team from the Silver Age, but we did see her in issue 7 of this comic from Young Animal. That was the one where he met Superman, but he didn't meet Superman. Remember this? It was sort of mm-hmm. after the first arc. Uh, so that you know that gives uh, Cave Jr. Uh, that gives uh, Chloe and Johnny a little bit of alarm that Christine Madison is his mother on their universe. I don't know. I guess maybe that'll be a thing later on. Could be. Cave Jr. says that the Doc, Doc Magnus of his Earth has been battling the Whisper, and Cave even says, "Good old Doc Magnus." And uh, Cave Jr. further says that the Justice League of his Earth held off the Whisper for a time, but each fell in turn. That's how bad it is. Mm. 
Wow. That's a, yeah, the, the Whisper is a bad mother. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Jeanette, one of the rogue EBX employees that we barely know, <laughs> goes to check out Avery's corpse, and it turns out that it's not quite a corpse yet. It's not dead. Uh, she serves only the Whisper, by the way. She yeah. does not serve uh, Borstein anymore. Uh, Avery threatens to come back and, and uh, you know, fungus up the earth again. <laughs> uh, Cave Jr. says... He saw this before on his Earth during the Isley situation, which uh, I'm guessing probably what Poison Ivy you think? I had to be, but I, yeah. I like this just this this comment uh, that is tied in, sure. And uh, you know, it lets you let your mind wander. What could that you know? What would happen if Isley got infected by this fungus? Like, and it, well, the implication is it became super fungus. You know, like sure. Uh, it's how they lost Gotham. So yeah, I, I really I dug that little aside. Luckily, uh, he has an antidote to the fungus, which was synthesized by Batman. Good old Batman. <laughs> he's, he's the smartest man in the room, even when he's not in the room. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Cave the First grabs the antidote serum from his son uh, after telling him he's done good, yeah. which <laughs> which vexes his, uh, you know, our world daughter, Chloe. Yeah. Um, Cave injects Avery with the antidote, and she expires. Which uh, brings autumn <laughs> into season, sure. which was uh, Mazra's favorite, by the way. That's nice. Uh, Wild Dog and Chloe chat about not having, not really trusting this uh, young Cave Junior. Uh, <laughs> to which Wild Dog offers to <laughs> casually offers to shatter his clavicle. Yeah. Uh, Chloe uh, says he sh- they shouldn't deny Cave the son that he's always wanted. Meow, sister. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody's a little jealous. Little but... caddy. So Cave Senior tells Cave Senior tells Cave Junior he'd like to help save his Earth from the Whisper since he's failed on many other Earths so far. Uh, Cave Junior contacts Magnus and tells him to beam back the entire party and mutters to inform his father that he's retrieved the data. Mm. Although through the pink crystal and into Doc Magnus's lab, and there are the metal men. Uh, Doc Magnus instructs them to restrain Team Carson, then pops Cave's cybernetic eye out of his face. Magnus says, Whisper's coming, there's no time to waste. Cave Sr.'s mad at his kid, but Cave Jr. swears his intentions are good, and this will be the thing that will destroy the Whisper. Magnus pops the eye into a blank android body, and it looks sort of similar to cloning materials from Cadmus. Mm-hmm. Do you think so, too? I thought it was I think like so. one of those old, like, Cadmus... Uh, blanks or whatever uh but uh, anyway it becomes and this is also unclear i guess that's yeah. masra i'm not sure it but it does seem masra ish see my problem is it didn't look like her profile earlier in the issue hmm. but it only makes sense that it would be that her mem- you know memories of her would be imprinted on that eye sure uh, whatever it is it's definitely some sort of a female android that yes. that color wise reminded me of red tornado but the Earth 2 version, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have a feeling it's it's Masrabot. I, I think that's what we've got going on here. Uh, and then the Cave Carson of this dimension shows up, and he has a cyborg guy, and he seems thrilled with this development. It went all according to plan, mm-hmm. and that ends the issue for us. And I, I believe there was a uh, who's who in Rocks, you know what I'm talking about, that thing Mark Russell's yeah. been doing, but we didn't get it in our comp, we so we didn't review yeah. it. But there is a little bit of something there. Yeah, we do have uh, the same uh, Jean Rivera who's who plus uh, script process uh, little section we've had for, what, the better part of the month now. Yeah. Um, We also have a pinup sketch of Flex Mentalo with a cat on his shoulder. No problem. I really have no problems with that at all. It looks like it's (laughs) celebrating one year of uh, Young Animal, which it's hard to believe it's 
been about a year. I know. Uh, although it, we're not there yet. I think September is when it comes. Uh, I think September, yeah. But still, that's that's cool. As usual, the backup, especially in this case when it's like just sort of extras. You know, to, uh, I really have nothing yeah. to say about it. Story, I enjoyed a lot. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this is something we said last week that we're ready to move on from this endless onslaught of the big whisper brain going through Earth after Earth and, you know, just like uh, Cave and Team are always on the ropes. And this took us to a new place. Whisper's still the, the, a threat, but sort of in the background. And we don't have to see yeah. as much of that interaction for the time being. And I, I'd be happy to explore more of this universe with Metal Men, who I love. I just. Have always lived. The first time I saw the mm-hmm. Metal Man, Chris, was when I read Walt Simonson's like run through it in a trade from the 70s, and I loved okay. it, man. And and you got to think of his line of how well he would draw something like the Metal Man and sure. somebody, the way they stretch and 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 his crazy style of lettering. So that's uh, I know they come much. I the Silver Age is where they come from, and I've checked those now too. But always been a favorite favorite crew of mine and would love to see more of that more of doc magnus see what's happening so i really dug this issue what do you think chris i thought it was good too i uh, i like like you just said i like that we're we're proceeding it's not we're not percolating anymore we're actually getting somewhere mm. where uh, the past 3 or 4 issues have just felt like i i think i could read them in any order and not <laughs> really miss a beat yeah you're right um, it was just uh, basically the done same. the same thing for about two to three issues. I, I think the this is ten, right? So yeah, seven was Number Superman. 10. That mm-hmm. was that weird dream where he woke up in the nightmarish world of a, a post Whisper multiverse, a Fawcett City, yeah, yeah. And uh, we basically kind of just been seeing that for two issues. So this was a, a cool break, and sure. uh, as usual, I, I, I love the uh, art and stuff, and there wasn't any superfluous psychedelia thrown in here a little yep. bit a little bit psychedelic but that's just how it how it runs and uh, they're raising a bunch of questions but they're all questions we want the answers to which that's, is definitely a plus that is important <laughs> uh so i gave this on the site and i'll give it right now an 8.5 out of 10 where do you think you'd go with it i think i'd go just about that as well that right. was it was a very good issue yeah a plus cave carson fans should be happy now this weekend uh, as we record this right now, San Diego Comic-Con is going on, and there have some breaking news about Young Animal. There may be more Young Animal news uh, by the time this podcast goes up, and we'll address it next week if we miss something important, although I don't think, I think they've had all their panels and whatever. I think they were. I think you're right. But we'll, we'll, who knows? Things could pop at any time. So uh, what we have learned is that, unfortunately, we're not here. Pleased to hear this, but Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, and Shade the Changing Girl, they'll go on hiatus in October. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Young Animal Universe will cross over with the DCU in four one-shots in January 2018, and that will lead to a new status quo of some kind. Yes, the first one they announced is Doom Patrol Special, which features a team-up with the Justice League of America. It's going to be written by Gerard Way and Steve Orlando, and feature art by Aiko. Is that what we're thinking? I sometimes say ACO, but ACO sounds ACO, good. ACO, yeah. um, and it's going to feature a cover by uh, Frank Whiteley. I like to hear all those names except for Steve Orlando, but <laughs> we we will see. You know what I mean? This uh, and for reasons that we're not sure what this really means or how this will affect anything, Young Animal is now officially operating under DC's imprint Vertigo. Mm-hmm. What that entails, we were talking about it before the show. This could just could be a payroll thing. 
Sure. Could mean that now they got to, you know, check in at the office. We don't know what, what that means or whether that's going to really change what that's going to change. Uh, it's so far as the, the hiatus, I don't like. Um, no, no, that so, hiatus is a bit bit worrying. And they and they did give no time. That's we're worried that the hiatus may be permanent because there are a lot of books technically on hiatus right now that have been on hiatus for a Ever. long time, decades <laughs> in some cases. So uh, it's going to happen after September. September will be the last issues of those books, as far as I can understand it. We're thinking issue twelve of each, right? It seems like it's that way. Definitely going to be issue twelve of Cape Carson, unless obviously they have some. Uh, some you wrap know, up production one shot hiccup yeah. thing. Or maybe, that they'll, too. maybe they'll do an, an annual download. You know, uh anyway, you know, we, we don't know what that really means or whether that means other titles will come out, but that's not thrilling. No, um, if I was a betting man, I'd say that they're going away. I would have to say so too. And it really does yeah. seem like uh in shade more than in cave, although you can do it also it could wrap up. Uh, wrap up at, at 12 pretty neatly you know mm-hmm. where you leave a you know you always leave a little any good comics writer will always leave a little hook to pull but sorry back in but sure. they could they could wrap it up and quite frankly i i would be okay with that 12 solid issues of a comic beats you know 300 issues where the last you know 150 oh, are you know <laughs> a, a chore to look at uh so or I'm really being quite generous there. Often it's a lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, but insofar as the Young Animal universe crossing over into the DCU, I, I don't think th- I've seen some people kind of like hemming and hawing about it. I don't really know yeah, what they're... the extent is yet. You know, as far as I'm concerned, and like we mentioned before, I mean, Cave is bouncing from universe to universe. As far as I'm concerned, he's part of the DC universe, so it's not like it's it's this isn't a stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's definitely. I mean, he's interacting with the metal men in this issue. Sure, we know he knows Superman, so that that might be the metal man and Superman of his Earth. But that implies Mm -hmm. that, like we say, he's part of the multiverse. He's he's on the table. Once, yeah, exactly. Once you're in the DC multiverse, you can leak. You can vibrate into another universe. Absolutely. Pretty easily, actually. You think it'd be unusual, but it happens pretty regularly, is in fact. So, (laughs) I don't think that's so crazy. But of course, all this is like highly speculative. It'll, sure, at this it, point. It all depends how they do it. If they, you know, I would not mind if we do a little special thing and then everyone goes back to their corners, for example, but we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, and uh, one one more thing about this uh, going to Vertigo, it's uh, it's like one of the last things they're undoing about the New 52, because the New 52 brought Vertigo, Wildstorm, and DC into one universe. That's true. And uh, now we've got where Vertigo is starting to do its own thing and Wildstorm's its own thing, so it's it's strange how it's uh it's all becoming unraveled here. Yeah, uh yeah, I think that's a great assessment of it, Chris. I don't you know, I don't have any comments to make that wouldn't be uh negative, so I will leave it there, but <laughs> I do think that is a very good assessment of the situation. So, uh, you know, exciting stuff. I definitely like to hear about new comics. I'm upset that we're losing two comics that we genuinely like a lot, but mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe that will have them con- concentrate their efforts on the other ones. And uh, Mother-, sure. Mother Panic is picking up, folks, I'm telling you now. But anyway, uh, that's for next week. And, in fact, next week we do have Mother Panic number nine. And if you don't, if you believe it or not, we have Doom Patrol number seven. Mm-hmm. Is that I know it's out because I've seen it, ladies and gentlemen. I've with my own got two eyes. Grubby, we yeah. got it in our grubby eye holes. It is yeah. not. It is not an imaginary story. Dream, imaginary, imaginary story. Not it's not a hoax. Dream. Not a dream. None of that. It's really happening. Uh, that one's written by still by Gerard Way, but drawn by the All Reds, uh, Laura mm-hmm. and Michael. So 
Uh, definitely looking forward to checking that out. But I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, I think that'll do us. Well, until next week, folks, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. See ya. <laughs>